Podcastle, episode 246, for February 5th, 2013, Where Virtue Lives, by Saladin Ahmed. Rated PG. Hello and welcome back to Podcastle. I'm Dave Thompson, and we've got a fun one for you today. A story of swords and magic, of good versus evil, and yet, a story that reminds us that goodness doesn't always look that attractive. There's no need to have read Saladin Ahmed's debut novel, Throne of the Crescent Moon, to enjoy this story, but it is set in the same world and features some of the same characters, though it takes place prior to the novel and was published several years before the novel was. But if you have read the book, you know what I'm talking about. Dr. Adula Masklud, the best ghoul hunter in the city of Damsuat. While that name may sound like it belongs to a charming, daring-do, dashing hero, well, our protagonist is here to defy your expectations. I'm not too old, not yet, but as I get older and watch my kids grow up, I do notice some of those familiar tropes of heroes. The square jaws, the beauty... One thing I want my kids to understand is that heroes shouldn't be judged by what they look like on the outside. I know it's a cliché, but it's what they do and what's on the inside that counts. Life is not a Dick Tracy comic strip or a Nancy Drew novel. A scarred face or a crooked back doesn't make for a black heart. Not that my kids will probably be listening to this story anytime soon, because did I mention ghouls? Yeah, I did. Petrify my children. Here's a funny little note about the production of this story. I was sure it had been podcast before when we bought it, but as it turns out, it came out before Beneath Ceaseless Skies had started doing their podcast, and although I could have sworn I'd heard that Raja and Connor read it somewhere, or was going to read it at Starship Sofa, well, that seems never to have been the case. Rajan did read Saladin's Hooves and the Hovel of Abdel Jamila for us way back, one of the earliest stories Anna and I bought. I guess it was just inspiration, because we're pairing the two of them together again here. Obviously, we don't mind that some of the stories we run have been podcasted elsewhere, but I have to admit, I think it's pretty cool we're the first to podcast this one. So, Saladin Ahmed. I've told you about his book. We've also run quite a few stories here, like uh, Mr. Hodge's Sunset Ride, and Iron Eyes in the Watered Down World. By the way, Zoc fans, I hear there's a new story coming out in Jonathan Strahan's Fearsome Journeys anthology, coming out in late May, so check that out. His follow-up novel to Throne of the Crescent Moon can't get here soon enough, in my opinion. Like I said, our story this week is read for you by Rajan Khanna. He read Kin Lu's Paper Menagerie for us last year, and we tend to lead a lot on Rajan to read for us stories with a certain emotional depth to them. Uh, but we thought we'd give him a forked sword this time out and some magic spells and see how he fares. He's also a very good writer himself and featured several of his own stories here, including Card Sharp and Doors. Now, before we get started, there's plenty of time to grab a plate of honey and pistachio glazed pastries, along with a nice cup of tea. I don't know, really. Plenty of time. Enjoy the story. Where Virtue Lives by Saladin Ahmed I'm telling you, Doctor, it's eyes, it's teeth, the hissing. Name of God, I've never been so scared. Dr. Adullah Maxlud, the best ghoul hunter in the great city of Damsawat, was weary. Two and a half bars of thousand-sheet pastry sat on his plate, their honey and pistachio-glazed layers glistening in the sunlight that streamed into Ye Ye's tea house. Adullah let out a belch. Only two hours awake, only part way through my pastry and cardamom tea, and already a panicked man stands chattering to me about a monster. God help me. He brushed green and gold pastry bits from his fingers onto his spotless caftan. Magically, the crumbs and honey spots slid from his garment to the floor, leaving no stain. The caftan was as white as the moon. Its folds seemed to go on forever much like the man sitting before him. That hissing! I'm telling you, I didn't mean to leave her, but by God I was so scared. Hafi, the younger cousin of Adula's dear friend Ye, Ye had said, 
I'm telling you twelve times already. Repetition helped folk talk away their fear, so Adullah had let the man go on for a while. He had heard the story thrice now, listening for the inconsistencies fear introduces to memories, even honest men's memories. Adullah knew some of what he faced. A water ghoul had abducted Hafi's wife, dragging her toward a red river boat with eyes painted on its prow. Adula didn't need to hear any more from Hafi. What he needed was more tea, but there was no time. She's gone, Hafi wailed. That horrible thing took her, and like a coward I ran. Will you help me, doctor? For most of his life, men had asked Adula this question. In his youth, he'd been the best brawler on Dead Donkey Lane, and the other boys had looked up to him. Now men saw his attire and asked for his help with monsters. Adula knew too well that his head hair had flown and his gut had grown, but his ghoul hunter's raiment was unchanged after decades of grim work, still famously enchanted so that it could never be dirtied, and quietly blessed so that neither sword nor knife could pierce it. Still, he didn't allow himself to feel too secure. In his forty-two years ghoul hunting, he'd faced a hundred deaths other than sword death. Which deaths he would face today remained to be seen. Enough, Adula said, cutting off yet more words from Hafi. I've some ideas where to start. I don't know if your wife still lives, young man. I can't promise to return her to you, but I'll try my best to do so and stop whomever's responsible. God damn them. Thank you, doctor. Uh, um, I mean, I hereby thank and praise you and, and beg God's blessings for you, O great and virtuous school hunter. Does he think I'm some pompous physician to be flattered by ceremony? A ghoul hunter shared a title, but little else with the haughty doctors of the body. No leech-wielding charlatan of a physician could stop the fanged horrors that Adula battled. Adula swallowed a sarcastic comment and stood up. He embraced Hafi, kissing him on both cheeks. Yes, well, I will do all I can, child of God. He dismissed the younger man with a reassuring pat on the back. Oh, God, Adula thought, why have you made this life so tiring? And why so full of interrupted meals? In six quick bites, he ate the remaining pastries. Then, sweets in his belly, and a familiar reluctance rising within him, he left Yeye's tea house in search of a riverboat with painted eyes, a ghoul, and a bride whom Adula hoped to God was still alive. Rasid Bas Rasid frowned in distaste as he made his way down the crowded Damsawat street his guide called the Lane of Monkeys. Six days ago, Rasid had walked along a quiet road near the Lodge of God. Six days ago, he'd killed three highwaymen. Now he was in Damsawat, king of cities, and there were dirty, wicked folk all about him. City people who spoke with too much speed and too little respect. Rasid brushed dust from his dervish blue silks. As he followed his lanky guide through the press of people, he dwelt, though it was impermissibly proud to do so, on his encounter with the highwaymen. A dervish dressed in blue, eh? Just like in the song. I hear you sons of whores hide jewels in those pretty dresses. Ha ha ha! Dervish dressed in blue. That's funny. Sing for us, little dervish. What do you think that forked sword will do against three men's spears, pup? Can your skinny arms even lift it? When the robbers had mentioned that blasphemous song, they had approached the line that separates life from death. When they had moved from rough talk to brandishing spears, they'd crossed that line. Three bodies now lay rotting by the road. Rasid tried not to smile with pride at the thought. They'd underestimated him. He was six and ten, though he knew he hardly looked it. Clean-shaven, barely five feet, and thin-limbed as well. But his silk tunic and trousers, the habit of the order, warned most ruffians that Rasid was no easy target, as did the curved sword at his hip forked to cleave the right from the wrong in men, as the traditions of the order put it. The blade and silks inspired respect in the cautious, but fools saw the scrawny boy and not the dervish. That did not matter, though. Soon, God willing, Rasid would find the great and virtuous ghoul hunter Adula Maxlud. If it pleased God, the doctor would take Rasid as an apprentice, if Rasid was worthy. But I am impatient, proud, are these virtues? The traditions of the order say a dervish without virtue is less than a beggar. 
The sudden realization that he'd lost sight of his guide pulled him out of his reflections. For a moment, Rasid panicked, but the lanky man stepped back into view, gesturing for him to follow. Rasid thanked God that he'd found a reverent and helpful guide, for Damsuat's streets seemed endless. Rasid had been the youngest student ever to earn the blue silks. He feared neither robbers nor ghouls, but he would not know what to do if lost amidst this horde of lewd, impious people. Life had been less confusing at the Lodge of God, but then High Sheikh Ali had sent him to train with the doctor. When you meet Adullah Makslud, little sparrow, you will see that there are truths greater than all you've learned in this lodge. You will learn that virtue lives in strange places. Before him, his guide came to a halt. Here we are, Master Dervish, just over that bridge. At last, Rasid thanked the man and turned toward the small footbridge. The man tugged at Rasid's sleeve. Apologies, Master Dervish, but the watchman will not let you cross without paying the crossing tax. Crossing tax? The man nodded. And the bastards will charge you too much once they see your silks. They respect neither piety nor the order. If you wish, though, I will haggle for you. A half dirham should suffice. Were I a richer man, I'd cover your tax myself. It's a sad world where a holy man must pay his way over bridges. Rasid thanked the man for his kindness and handed him one of his few coins. Very good, Master Dervish. Now please stay out of sight while I bargain. I will return for you shortly. God be with you. Rasid waited and waited. Adullah needed information. Ghouls had no souls of their own. They did only as their masters bade, which meant that a vile man had used a water ghoul in his bride-stealing scheme. And if there was one place Adullah could go to learn of vile men's schemes, it was Miri's. There was no place in the world that pleased him more, nor any that hurt him so. Though God alone knows when I'll get there. Adullah walked the packed mainway, wishing the crowd would move faster, knowing it wouldn't. Overturned cobbler's carts, dead pack animals, traffic-stopping processions of state. Dom Suat's hundred headaches hurried for no man, not even when a ghoul stalked the king of cities. By the time he reached Miri's tidy storefront, it was past midday. Standing in the open doorway, Adula smelled sweet incense from iron burners and camel thorn from the hearth. For a long moment he stood there at the threshold, wondering why in the world he'd been away from this lovely place so long. A corded forearm blocked his way, and another man's shadow fell over him. A muscular man, even taller than Adula, stood scowling before him, a long scar splitting his face into gruesome halves. He placed a broad palm on Adula's chest and grabbed a fistful of white caftan. Oh ho! Who's this forgetter of friends slinking back in here so shamelessly? Adula smiled. Just another foolish child of God who doesn't know how to stay put, Axe Face. The two men embraced and kissed on both cheeks. Then Axe Face bellowed toward an adjoining room. The doctor is here, mistress. You want me to beat him up? Adula could not see Miri, but he heard her husky voice. Not today, though I am tempted. Let the old fart through. For one moment more, though, Axe Face held him back. She misses you, doctor. I bet she'd still marry you. When are you going to wake up, huh? With a good-natured shove, he sent Adula stumbling into the greeting room. One of the regular girls, wearing a dress made of sheer cloth and copper coins, smiled at Adula. The coins jingled as she shimmied past, and he tried to keep from turning his head. Just my luck, he thought not for the first time, that the woman I love runs the whorehouse with the city's prettiest girls. Then she was there, Miri Almusa, seller of silks and sweets, known to a select few as Miri of the Hundred Ears. Her thick curves jiggled as she moved, and her hands were hannahed. Adula had to remind himself that he was there to save a girl's life. When one is married to the ghouls, one has three wives already, went the old ghoul hunter's adage. Oh God, how I wish I could take a fourth. Silently, Miri led him to a divan. She glared at him and brushed her hand over his beard, ridding it of crumbs he hadn't known were there. You're a wonderful man, she said by way of greeting, but you can be truly disgusting sometimes. A man's slurred shouts boomed from the next room. Irritation flashed across Miri's face, but she spoke lightly. Naj is usually so quiet. Wormwood wine makes him loud. 
At least he's not singing. Last week it was ten rounds of the druggist, the draper, and the man who made paper before he passed out. Name of God, how I hate that song. She slid Adula a tray with coffee, little saltfish, and rice bread. Adula popped a fish into his mouth, the tiny bones crunching as he chewed. Despite the urgency of his visit, he was hungry, and Miri was not a woman to be rushed, no matter what the threat. She continued, Unlike some people, though, Naj can be counted on to be here every week, helping to keep me and mine from poverty. It's been a while, Dooley. What do you want? She set her powder-painted features into an indifferent mask. I'm wondering, pretty one, if you've heard anything about a stolen bride in the quarter of stalls. Miri smiled a disgusted smile. Predictable. Of course you already have your gigantic nose in this nonsense. Well, for the usual fee, plus five percent. I might remember something my ears have heard. A price hike, huh? Adula sighed. You know I'll pay what you ask, my sweet. Indeed you will. We may be more than friends here and there, my sweet. But we're not man and wife. Your choice, remember? Our monies are separate, and this dooley is about money. Now, according to my ears. A name would have made a duelist task easier, but Miri's information was almost as good. A red riverboat with eyes painted on the prow had been spotted only two hours ago at an abandoned dock near the low bridge of boats. And Hafi's wife may not have been the first woman taken by the ghoul. Two of Miri's ears said the ghoul served a man. One said a woman, but none had gotten a close look. Still, Adula had a location now, enough to act on. And so, calling himself mad for the thousandth time in his life, Adula prepared to leave a wonderful woman's company to chase after monsters. Rasid approached the well-kept storefront and allowed himself to hope. This was not Adula Maxlud's home, but after Rasid's guide had absconded, an old woman had led Rasid to the storefront, insisting that she had just seen the doctor enter. Rasid paused at the threshold. He had journeyed far, and if it pleased God, he'd have a new teacher. If it pleased God. He took a measured breath and stepped through the doorway. Inside, the large greeting room was dim. Scant sunlight made its way through high windows. Tall couches lined the wall opposite the door, and a few well-dressed men sat on them, each speaking to a woman. And at the center of the room, on a juniper wood divan, sat a middle-aged woman and an old man in a spotless caftan. They stared as a massive man with a scar ushered Rasid in. Rasid looked at the man in white. Dr. Adula Maxlud? It had to be him. He was the right age, though Rasid had expected the doctor to be leaner and clean-shaven. This old man had the bumpy knuckles of a fist-fighter. Can this rough-looking one really be him? Rasid bowed his head. Begging your pardon, but are you Dr. Adula Maxlud, the great and virtuous school hunter? The man snorted a laugh. Great and virtuous? No, boy, you're looking for someone else. I'm Dr. Adula Maxlud, the best belcher in Dom Sawat. If I see this other fellow, though, I'll tell him you're looking for him. Rasid was confused. Perhaps he's testing me somehow. He spoke carefully. I apologize for disturbing you, Doctor. I am Rasid Bas Rasid, and I have come, at High Sheikh Ali's bidding, to offer you my sword and apprenticeship. He bowed and waited for the doctor's response. Old Sheikh Ali? The only true dervish Adula had ever known? Adula had assumed that ancient Ali had gone to meet God years ago. Was it really possible this Rasid had been sent by the High Sheikh? And might the boy be of some help? The doctor sized up the five-foot dervish. He was yellow-toned with tilted eyes and a clean-shaven face. He looked like one who had killed but did not yet value life. A scabbard of blue leather and lapis lazuli hung at the boy's waist. Adula smiled as he thought of the body song that poked fun at an ascetic dervish's love for his jeweled scabbard. The tune was catchy as the words were blasphemous. Without meaning to, Adula started humming, Dervish dressed in blue. The boy frowned, then bit his lip. God help me, he looks so sincere. Adula sighed and stood, avoiding Miri's glare. We'll talk as we walk, boy. A girl's life's in danger and time is short. He paid Miri her fee, mumbled his inadequate goodbyes, and herded the boy out onto the street.
A dervish of the order? Adula decided he could not ignore the advantages of having such a swordsman at his side. After all, who knew what awaited him at the low bridge of boats? He was easily winded these days, and he had no time to stop by his townhouse for more supplies. He needed help, truth be told, but first the boy had to be set straight. The name of Sheikh Ali goes far indeed with me, boy. You may accompany me for now, but we're not in a holy man's parable. We're trying to save a poor girl's life and keep from getting ourselves killed. God's gifts and my own study have given me useful powers, but I'll kick a man in his fig sack if need be, make no mistake. A real girl has been stolen by a real monster. God forbid it, she may be dead. But it's our job to help however we can. The boy looked uncomfortable, but he bowed his head and said, Yes, doctor. That would be enough for now. The thoroughfare the doctor called the Street of Festivals was lined with townhouses separated by small gardens. A girl hawked purple pickles from a copper bowl. Rasid smelled something foul, but it wasn't the pickles. Two houses down, a human head had been mounted above the doorway. The doctor spat. The work of his great highness the caliph. That is the head of Nasar Jamala, charged with treason. He made a few loud speeches at market. Meanwhile, young brides are abducted by ghouls and the watchmen do nothing. Surely, doctor, if the man was a traitor, it was righteous that he should die, Rasid said. And how is it that you are a scholar of righteousness, boy? Because you're clean-shaven and take no wine? Shave your beard and scour your soul? The doctor squinted at Rasid. Do you even need to shave yet? <laughs> what trials has your mewling soul faced, O master dervish of six and ten whole years? O kisser of, I am guessing exactly, zero girls? The doctor waved his big hand as if brushing away his own words. Look, there are three possibilities. One, you're a madman or a crook passing yourself off as a dervish. Two, you are a real lodge-trained holy man, which in all likelihood still makes you a corrupt bully. Three, he gave Rasid a long look. Three, you are the second dervish of the order I've ever met who actually lives by his world-saving oaths. If so, boy, you've a cruel, disappointing life ahead. God's mercy is more powerful than all the world's cruelties, Rasid recited. But the doctor merely snorted and walked on. As Rasid followed through the throngs of people, his soul sank. Despite years of training, he felt like a small boy, lost and about to cry. His long journey was over. He had made it to Damsawat. He had found the man Sheikh Ali named the Crescent Moon Kingdom's greatest ghoul hunter. And the man was an impious slob. Doubt began to overwhelm Rasid. What would he do now? He knew that he needed direction. He wasn't so proud that he couldn't admit that. But what could he learn from this gassy, unkempt man? And yet, Rasid could not deny that there was something familiar about Adula Maxlud, a strength of presence not unlike High Sheikh Ali's that seared past the doctor's sleepy-seeming eyes. Perhaps. He didn't realize he'd come to a halt until a beggar elbowed past him. The doctor, a dozen yards ahead, turned and hollered at him to hurry. Rasid followed, and they walked on into the late afternoon. It was nearly evening when they finally approached the abandoned dock near the low bridge of boats. There should be watchmen here keeping the street people from moving in, Adula thought. But neither vagrants nor patrols were in sight. Bribery or murder. Doctor! The boy's whisper was sharp as he pointed out onto the river. Adula saw, too, the red riverboat. He cursed as he saw that it was already leaving the dock. The owner had seen their approach. A lookout spell, no doubt. Adula cursed again. Then two figures stepped out from behind a dockhouse twenty yards ahead. They were shaped vaguely like men, but Adula knew the scaly gray flesh and glowing eyes. Water ghouls, and not one of them but two. Adula thanked God that he had the little dervish with him. Enemies, boy! The ghouls hissed through barb-toothed leech mouths, and their eyes blazed crimson. It was no wonder Hafi had run from them. Any man in his right mind would have. Adula dug into his kidskin satchel and withdrew two jade marbles. He clacked the spheres together in one hand and recited from the heavenly chapters, God, the all-merciful, forgives us our failings. The jade turned to ash in Adula's palm, 
and there was a noise like a crashing wave. The water ghoul nearest him lost its shape and collapsed into a harmless puddle of stinking liquid, twitching with dead snakes and river spiders. The drain of the invocation hit Adula, and he felt as if he'd dashed up a hill. So much harder every year. The other ghoul came at them. Rasid sped past Adula, his forked sword slashing. The creature snaked left. The boy's weapon whistled through empty air. The ghoul drove its scaly fist hard into the boy's jaw. It struck a second time, catching Rasid in the chest. Adula was amazed that the boy still stood. Regaining his own strength, Adula reached back into his satchel. He'd had only the two marbles, but there was another invocation. Where is that bile? The ghoul struck at Rasid a third time, and the boy dodged. He spun and launched a hard kick into the ghoul's midsection. Its red eyes registered no pain, but the creature scrabbled backward. Adula marveled at the boy's speed. Rasid's sword flashed once, twice, thrice, four times, and Adula saw that his other invocation would not be needed. Ghouls fell harder than men, but they fell all the same. The boy had finished this one. Its hissing shifted into the croaks and buzzes of swamp vermin. Its claws raked the air. Then its false soul snuffed out. The thing collapsed in a watery pile of dead frogs and leeches. Adula smiled at the puddle. So he's not all bravado, then. Ten and six years old. Well done, Dervish. I've seen stone-hard soldiers run the other way when faced with those glowing eyes. But you stood your ground, and you're still alive. It, it wouldn't die, the boy stammered. I cut it enough to kill five men. It wouldn't die. It was a ghoul, boy, not some drunken bully. Let me guess. For all your zeal, this is the first time you've faced one. Well, I won't lie. You did brilliantly. But our work isn't done. We've got to find that boat. Brilliantly, he said. Rasid sheathed his sword, trying not to feel pride. He had killed a ghoul. Thank you, doctor. I hope... He heard a noise from the dockhouse. To his surprise, a scrawny young woman stepped from the shadows. Except that there was not enough shadow there to have hidden her. How could I not have seen her? Impossible! The girl wore a dirty dress with billowy sleeves. Her face was a small oval, her left eye badly bruised. You killed them, she said. You killed them! The doctor smiled at her. Well, not killed exactly, dear. They never truly lived. But we stopped them, yes. He bowed slightly, like a modest performer. But he said they couldn't be killed. He swore it. The doctor's expression turned grim. Who swore it? Are you not Hafi's wife? Did these creatures not attack you? The girl frowned. Attack me? I... He swore, she said dazedly. They gave me time. She shook her head as if driving some thought away and raised a clenched fist. As she did, Rasid saw that she held two short pieces of rope, one white, one blue. His keen eyes noted intricate knots tied at the end of each. The girl raised the white rope tied with a fat squarish knot to her mouth. Damn it! Stop her! The doctor shouted. There was an unnaturally loud, whispery sound as the girl blew on the white rope. As Rasid stood there confused, Adula's shout twisted into a scream. The doctor hunched over, gripping his midsection in agony. He spoke around gritted teeth. Get ropes! The girl blew on the knot again, and Rasid heard another whispery puff of air sound. The old man screamed again and dropped to his knees. Not blowing! Rasid had never seen such wicked magic at work, but he'd heard dark stories. He charged as he saw the girl raise the blue rope, tied with a small sleek knot, to her lips. That one's for me, he realized. But Rasid was too swift. He crossed the space between them and palm-punched the woman flat on her back. The little ropes flew from her hand. Before she could get to her feet, Rasid's sword sang out of its scabbard. He held its forked tip to her throat. The doctor shuffled up beside him, panting and still wincing with pain. Let her stand, he said, and Rasid did so. The doctor's tone was hard but strangely courteous. So, young lady, blow her on knots. Were these your pet ghouls be destroyed? The girl sounded half asleep. No. Pet? No. Zood said that... said that... She eyed Rasid's sword fearfully and trailed off. The doctor took a deep breath and gestured to Rasid, so he brought the blade away from the girl's throat. But he did not sheath it. The doctor's voice grew infuriatingly gentle. Let's begin again. What's your name, girl? The girl's eyes lost a bit of their glaze. She had the decency to look ashamed. My name's Ushra. And who has hurt you, Ushra? The magus who made these ghouls? What's his name? The girl looked at the ghoul's puddle remains. He... My husband is called Zood. 
He sent me to stop you while he got away. I'm his wife. First wife. I've... I've helped him catch others. Four... five now? Wickedness, Rasid thought. This one deserves death. Well, his girl-stealing days are over, the doctor said. Whatever's happened, we'll help you, Ushra, but we also need your help. Rasid could not keep his disapproval to himself. And why have you never run away, woman? Or used your knots on this zood? I would never. I could never. You shouldn't say such things. Ushra looked terrified, and for a moment Rasid almost forgot that she was a wicked blower on knots who had just made the doctor helpless with her magic. For a moment. I must go back, she said. He'll find me. He'll make more ghouls. He'll feed my living skin to them. He did it with his stolen wives. The doctor sucked in angry-sounding breath. We'll stop him, Ushra. Where is he going in that riverboat? Where can we find him? Rasid could not let this interrogation continue. With apologies, doctor, this one has worked wicked magics and must be punished. It is impermissible, according to the traditions of the order, to twist information from one who must be slain. The doctor threw his hands up. God save us from fanatical children. We're not going to slay her. We're going to stop this half-dinar mega zood and save Hafi's wife. Whatever your shakes taught you, boy, if you wish to study with me, you will... The puff of air sound again. Another rope. She had another rope hidden in those sleeves. As Rasid thought it, his vision went black. Blinded! It was so sudden that he cried out in spite of himself. He felt a soft hand on his face. Then his stomach twisted up and his mind stopped working properly. All around him was darkness, and his thoughts seemed wrapped in cotton. What is this? What foul magic has she worked on me? Rasid could not ask the doctor, because the doctor was not there. Adula heard the puff of air sound again, and suddenly he was alone on the dock. The girl had disappeared, and, along with her, Rasid. Damn me for a fool! A whisking spell, no doubt, used to travel from the location of one object to another. Adula had seen such magic before, leaving an ensorcelled coin at home and carrying its counterpart to provide a quick escape. But he hadn't known knot-blowing could be used the same way. She must have touched the boy, too. The girl's power was great, if feral. Adula himself avoided such spells. It only took one bad whisking to break a mind, and the caster never knew when it was coming. No quick trip home was worth a lifetime of gibbering idiocy. He had to find them, and fast. Praise God he had a name now. A crude tracking spell, then. He would have a splitting headache the next day from the casting, but it was his only choice. Standing on the still-quiet dock, Adula dug charcoal and a square of paper from his satchel. After writing the name of God on the front of the paper and Zud on the back, he pulled forth a platinum needle, pricked his thumb, and squeezed one drop of blood onto Zud's name. He rolled the square into a tube and placed it in his pocket. The mental tug he felt meant God had deemed Adula's quarry cruel enough to lead his servant to the man. He followed it eastward, the half-sunk sun at his back. He cursed himself five times as he crossed Archer's yard. Adula had shown mercy, and the girl had betrayed him. The dervish had been right. Adula was the soft old man who called for tea when he should be calling for the blood of his enemies. The yard's hay-training targets stood abandoned now, a few arrows still sticking out of them. To Adula's mind, the arrows seemed accusatory fingers pointing at him, a fuzzy-headed fool whose weak heart had killed a boy of six and ten. No, not if he could help it. He had brought the boy into this mess. Now if Rasid still lived, Adula would get him out of it. Rasid awoke blindfolded, gagged, and bound. During his training, he'd learned to snap any bonds that held him, no matter how well tied. But something was wrong here. He was bound not with rope or chain, but with some fiendish substance that burned hotter the harder he tried to escape. His struggles caused him a slicing pain in his wrists and ankles. But for an uncontrolled moment, he thrashed like a madman. Calm yourself? He was disgusted at how easily he lost Dervish's dignity. He went into a breathing exercise, timing his inhalations and exhalations. The first thing was to figure out where he was. They had blindfolded him, which meant that the knot-blower's blinding curse was not permanent. Praise God for that. Adapting quickly, Rasid let his other senses take over. He heard the cries of river gulls and a splashing sound against one wall. He smelled water and felt himself swaying. 
A boat. Suits, the one we saw leaving. Rasid was captive on a boat and bleeding. He wondered where the doctor was. I should not have listened to him. He is old and grown soft. Rasid could have ended the girl's life and ought to have done so. Now it was too late. Impermissible panic began to rise in him. Inhale. Exhale. He would not feel fear. He would find a way out. Suddenly, Rasid heard a sobbing sound, a young woman crying as she spoke. I'm sorry, holy man, so sorry. The whisking spell could have killed you. Ushra, perhaps a yard away from him, from the same direction he heard glass clink and smelled something acidic. What can I do? the girl continued, her voice moving about. I'm damned. I didn't want to be his wife, Master Dervish. He, he took me and he made me need him. But the things he did to the other wives... The girl wept wordlessly for a moment, then took a deep breath. Please don't scream, she whispered, pulling down Rasid's gag. Talk to her! Rasid felt that God was with him, for the words came quickly. You can correct your wickedness, Ushra. You can make amends for your foulness. In the eyes of God, our kindnesses weigh twice our cruelties. She untied his blindfold, and Rasid blinked at the dim lantern light. Ushra crouched before him, a long glass vial in the crook of her arm. The look on the girl's face gave him hope. Our kindnesses weigh twice our cruelties. The scriptures echoed in Rasid's head. Sood's gone now, Master Dervish, but he'll return soon. He left me to guard you. She took a breath and closed her eyes. I know I can't fix everything, but I freed the girl, his new wife. That will weigh well with God, won't it? Rasid would not presume to speak for him. He said simply, God is all-merciful. The girl opened her teary eyes and spoke more swiftly. He bound you with firevine. It can't be untied. I've poisoned it, but it'll take an hour to die. God willing, it'll die before he returns. More weeping. I am foul, holy man. My soul is dirty. But God, forgive me, I want to live. I have to go. You don't know the things he can do, Master Dervish. I have to go. Ushra went. But she's freed Havi's wife. Rasid praised God as he lay there captive, bleeding, alone. The Red River boat had docked near the high bridge of boats. Adula found the hatch open and thanked God. He made his way into the cabins without being discovered, which meant that this Zood was either blessedly overconfident or waiting for him. For a moment, Adula half hoped that he'd find Rasid and the Magus's wives before Zood found him. But then, as he came to the threshold of a cabin that seemed impossibly spacious, he heard whistling. It was The Druggist, The Draper, and The Man Who Made Paper, Miri's least favorite song. Not a good omen. The room was impossibly spacious, Adula realized. A magically enlarged cabin, grown to the size of a tavern's greeting room. In a far corner, the dervish lay bound on the floor. Firevine! Dried blood ringed Rasid's wrists and ankles. Between Adula and the boy stood Zud. The magus was gaunt and bald, with a pointed beard. Rasid's sheathed sword lay at Zud's feet, and beside the magus stood an oaf whose size made his purpose obvious. Bodyguard. There was no way Adula could reach the dervish before those two did. Zud, disturbingly unsurprised at Adula's entrance, stopped whistling and gestured toward Rasid. He's in great pain. Adula frowned. Why stage this gruesome show for me? Zud smiled. Simple. I'm no fool. I know your sort. I don't want you as an enemy. Hounding me across the Crescent Moon Kingdoms on some revenge quest? No. All I ask is your oath before God that you'll leave me in peace. I'd hope to take the boy with me. The Order has enemies who'd pay well for a live dervish. But if you'll be reasonable, you may walk off this ship, and we'll put the boy off as well. That's fair, isn't it? You've taken much from me already. My new wife. Even my first wife. Ushra's not here? And Hafi's wife is free? How? Adula could find out later. What mattered now was that his options had just increased. In the corner behind the Magus and his henchmen, Adula saw a small flicker of blue movement. Impossible! He smothered a smile and silently thanked God. So, Zood said, do I have your oath, doctor? 
Adula cleared his throat. My oath? In the name of God, I swear that you, with your tacky big room spells, are but a half-dinar magus with a broken face coming to him. Everything happened at once. He heard a snapping noise, and the boy was free. It was impossible to snap Firevine, but Adula adapted quickly to impossibilities. As Rasid leapt to his feet, Zud darted behind his bodyguard and screamed, Mabuk! Kill! The magus clapped twice. Oh, no. The flash of red light dazzled Adula for a moment, but his eyes knew and adjusted to the glamour glimmer of a dispelled illusion well enough. Adula had to give this fool Zud his due. The big bodyguard was gone. In his place was an eight-foot-tall cyclop. This is not good. A blue streak darted at the one-eyed, crimson-scaled creature. Rasid! The dim-witted monster grunted as the dervish barreled into it and knocked the mighty thing off its clawed feet. Adula stood there for a stunned half-moment. Half the monster's size, yet he topples it? Dervish and furnace-chested Cyclop wrestled on the ground until the monster wrapped his massive arms around the boy. Adula took a step toward the pair and shouted, It's I! One sword stroke through its eye! Then he whirled at the familiar sound of blade-leaving sheath. Zud stood before him with a hunted look on his face and a silver-hilted knife in his hand. All out of tricks, huh? And now you think to buy your freedom with a knife? Adula cracked his knuckles and took a step toward the magus. Rasid wriggled free of the Cyclops' crushing hug. The monster pressed him again, closing its clawed hands around Rasid's fists. His wounds from the firevine burned, but he pushed the pain away. As part of his training, Rasid had once wrestled a northern bear. This creature was stronger. Still, Rasid thought, as impermissible pride crept in, he would slay it. Then he'd know that he had fought a Cyclop and won. He twisted his powerful arms, trying to get the leverage to free himself. But the Cyclop held him fast and the pain in Rasid's wrists and ankles grew worse. Then he heard a small sound, and his left hand blazed with pain. His little finger was broken. Another sound. His index finger. The rest would follow if he did not get free. But how? The Cyclops decided for him. Shifting, it hoisted Rasid aloft like a doll. The monster tried to dash Rasid's brains out on the floorboards. Rasid twisted as he fell, somersaulting across the room. His sword hand was unharmed. He thanked God and forced away the pain of his wounds. He scooped up the blue scabbard, rolled to his feet, drew. The cyclop grunted. It blinked its teacup-sized eye as Rasid rushed forward. With eagle speed, Rasid leapt, sword extended. He thrust upward. With an ear-splitting howl, the cyclop fell, blood seeping from its single eye. Watching the monster die, Rasid felt more relief than pride. Adula charged Zud, making sure that his robed shoulder was his opponent's most prominent target. A sneer flashed on Zud's face. The fool thought Adula was blundering into his dagger path. The silver-handled blade came down, and glanced off the blessed captain as surely as if Adula were wearing mail. Zud got in one more useless stab before Adula let loose the right hook that had once made him the best street fighter on Dead Donkey Lane. With a girlish cry, the magus crumpled into a heap. Somewhere behind Adula... The cyclop howled its death howl. His tricks gone and his nose broken, Zud lay bleeding at Adula's feet. The magus whimpered to himself like a child yanked from a good dream. Before Adula knew what was happening, Rasid was at his side. Magus, the dervish said, you have stolen and slain women. You dare demand an oath before God to cover your foulness. For you, there can be no forgiveness. Rasid sent his blade, diving for Zud's heart. In a breath space, the forked sword found it. The magus's eyes went wide as he gurgled and died. Adula felt ill. What is wrong with you, boy? We have the man at our... He fell silent, seeing the boy's firevine wounds. Rasid narrowed his tilted eyes. With apologies, doctor, I expected Adula Maxlud to be a man who struck swiftly and righteously. And instead you found some pastry-stuffed old fart who isn't fond of killing... Poor child, God must weep at your cruel fate. Doctor, to take God's name in mock is Im enough, boy. Do you hear me? Fight monsters for forty years as I have. Cross the seas and sands of the Crescent Moon Kingdom serving God. Then you can tell me what is impermissible. By then, almighty God willing, I'll be dead and gone, my ears untroubled by the peeps of holy men's mouths. The tirade silenced the dervish, 
who stood looking down at the Magus' bleeding corpse. The problem was, Adula feared that the boy's way might be right. Adula thought of the girl Ushra, and of Rasid's pain as the Firevine had tortured him, and of Zud's dead wives. He sighed. Oh, God damn it all. Fine, boy, you're right, just as you were about the blower on knots. Adula sat down with a grunt right there on the bloody floorboards. He had fought a dozen battles more difficult than this over the decades, but he did not think he'd ever felt so weary. Rasid spoke slowly. No, doctor, you were right. About Ushra, at least. She did what she did from weakness and fear of a wicked man. Yet I would have killed her. The dervish was quiet for a long moment. It was her, doctor. Ushra. She poisoned the firevine. She freed Hafi's wife. I'm ashamed to say it, but I must speak true. I wouldn't have escaped if not for her. Adula was too tired to respond with words. He grunted again and clambered to his feet. Ye Ye's tea house buzzed with chattering customers. Rasid tried to ignore the lewd music and banter. Hafi and his tall, raven-haired wife sat with her grateful parents on a pile of cushions in the far corner. At a table near the entrance, Rasid sat with the doctor, who was nursing what he had called a goddamned gruesome tracking spell headache. Lifting his head from his hand slowly, the doctor fixed a droopy eye on Rasid. How many men have you killed, boy? Rasid was confused. Why did that matter now? Two? No, the highwayman. Five? After this villain last night, six. So many, the doctor said. Rasid did not know what to say, so he said nothing. Adula sighed. You're a fine warrior, Rasid, Bas Rasid. If you are to study with me, though, you must know your number and never forget it. You took a man's life yesterday. Weigh that fact. Make it harder than it is for you now. Remember that a man, even a foul man, is not a ghoul. Again, Rasid was confused. Harder, doctor? I've trained all my life to kill swiftly. And now you will train to kill reluctantly, if you still wish an apprenticeship. I do still wish it, doctor. Sheikh Ali spoke of you as, People speak of me, boy, but now you've met me. You've fought beside me. I eat messily. I ogle girls one-third my age, and I don't like killing. If you're going to hunt monsters with me, you must see things as they are. Rasid, his broken fingers still stinging, his wrists and ankles still raw, nodded and recalled the high sheikh's words about where virtue lives. Strange places indeed. A quiet settled over the table, and Adula devoured another of the almond and anise rolls that Yeye had been gratefully plying him with. As he ate, he thought about the boy sitting across from him. He did not relish the thought of a preachy little dervish in his home. He could only hope that the boy was young enough to stretch beyond the smallness that had been beaten into him at the lodge. Regardless, only a fool would refuse having a decade younger warrior beside him as he went about his last years of ghoul hunting. Besides, the dervish, with his meticulous grooming, would make a great housekeeper. He could hear Miri's jokes about boy love already. Miri, God help me. Rasid lifted his bowl of plain lime water and sipped daintily. Adula said nothing to break the silence, but he slurped his sweet cardamom tea. Then he set his tea bowl down, belched loudly, and relished the horrified grimace of his virtuous new apprentice. And welcome back. My favorite thing about Adula is that he's clearly a religious man, or at least a man of faith. But he's not a pious man, if you know what I mean. I also love that there are different layers of faith in this story, that faith isn't one uniform thing. Rasid is a very pious man and isn't quite sure what to make of this fabled ghoul hunter, and I love watching the two of them come together. Good times. Now let's get that new book out, huh? Okay. Feedback this week is for our holiday episode, Catching the Spirit, by Heather Shaw and Tim Pratt, read by Big Ankelvich. This was the story of when the Christmas spirit went viral, almost like a zombie outbreak. Feedback to this one was a bit mixed, to be honest. 
Lion Man said, I generally like this story. I thought it was an interesting twist on things, though quite thinly veiled at hiding who the speaker of the story is. However, I do have to say I like this line most. Always be so generous that people can't tell whether you've caught the Christmas spirit or not. We could all use more generosity in our lives. Atan had an interesting take from it, saying, Dave's intro and outro made it sound like the story is promoting the spirit of giving, but it's really not. It's a story about how giving is unrewarding and has to be motivated by an external agent or reward. If you're generous, eventually you'll get worn out and cynical and regret it. What makes you appreciate people is receiving stuff from them. I don't think it's the message Pratt and Shaw were aiming for, but it's the only one the story is selling. Hmm. Sounds like cynical Atan is cynical. We're not selling this story. We gave it away for free. Come on, man. I'm sending the Christmas spirit after you. Finrex went on a big road trip to visit his family and listened to all the escape artist Christmas stories he could get his grubby little MP3 player on. Come visit forum.escapeartist.net to see how what he calls World War C fared and let us know what you thought of this week's story while you're there. Also, if you like what we're doing, please consider visiting podcastle.org and making a donation. Every single cent goes to paying our authors so we can bring you the best in fantasy fiction week after week. Thank you. If you can't afford to donate, we understand. Please consider tweeting, Facebooking, blogging, or just telling your friends about us. Thank you. That's our show for this week. We hope you enjoyed it. Thank you so much for letting all of us here at Podcastle share another story with you. Podcastle's made up of associate editor Ann Leckie, sound producer Peter Wood, your editors Anna Schwind and myself, Dave Thompson, and we're published by Paul Herring. I don't usually say that last part, and I'm not sure why. It's been the case for years now. Thanks, Paul. Anyway, we'll be back next year when Christy Ant shows us her three feats. Not feet that she walks on, mind you. Until then, Podcastle wants you to remember, you're the diamond in the rough. See you next time. Podcastle is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is distributed on a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Share it, but don't change it or sell it. Our theme music is by Shiva in Exile. You can find them at magnatune.com. And if you like science fiction or horror, be sure to visit our sister podcasts, Escape Pod and Pseudopod. And if you enjoyed this episode, tell a friend, or post to your blog about it, or consider donating via the PayPal link on our site. Abraham Lincoln said, It has been my experience that folks who have no vices have very few virtues.